0: Good afternoon, everyone. another episode of Chicago Sports HQ. Joined as always with Cole Little. This is Dustin and Cole, how was your weekend this past weekend?
1: It was really good. How was yours?
0: Not too bad. So you had a good Labor Day.
1: Yeah, yeah, great, great Labor Day weekend. Awesome to have college wing. Uh, yeah, now pro football about to start ready for NFL season.
0: And we'll, we'll touch on that topic in a couple minutes, but I want to start the show with the Chicago Cubs today, who all of a sudden figured out how to win baseball games again. And yes, they lost to the Reds four to three on Tuesday night, but that was the first loss for the Cubs in a, a season long seven game winning streak. And The ironic part about that is the seven-game win streak came without the core players that they dealt away pre-trade deadline, which makes you wonder where this performance that we've been seeing out of them lately was months ago when the core had all this time to produce at the level everyone expected them to produce at. And now you have a bunch of journeyman players like Wisdom, uh, Ortega, and... Apparently, the new captain in town, Frank Detang Tang Schwindel, who it seems like every time he puts the ball in play, he's either hitting a home run or an RBI. This is, I think, the team that fans expected to have when the core players were around. But now that we've seen what they're capable of with this younger group and this least seasoned group of players, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see a good chunk of what they have now returning next season on a one or two year deal because A lot of these players have proven they they deserve jobs next year, whether it's with the Cubs or somebody else.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, been impressive to see. I'm not to be heavy down there, but, of course, you know, a lot of these recent wins against the Rockies, Twins, um, those are being bad teams, but – uh, you know, at least the Cubs haven't been playing, like, a bad team as of late. Uh, and, you know, like you said, it is um pretty impressive what he's been able to do. I mean, I think it's fair to say the team's best, most consistent, most effective hitter since the trade deadline. And, you know, for what it's worth, everyone Anthony Rizzo. I mean, he, even Big Riz didn't have a stretch at this at any point this season with the like, like the. Uh, I, don't think, you know, I don't
0: think he had a stretch like this at any point in his career outside of the year they went yeah. for the World
1: Series. True. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been really impressive. I mean, he had what three straight games technically where he had the winning hit in that Pirates. Um uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they had some crazy wins there. Uh, they were aided by, of course, the Pirates being terrible and doing Pirates things like the drop pop-up that helped them win that game in extra innings. And, um, you know, and things like that. But, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, Shwindel's you know, been leading the charge and Ian Happ's been hitting well. And, yeah, I mean. Different players, you know, now Albert Alzali's back, Wilson Contreras is back, David Bodie's back. So, you know, they've gotten players back from injury, and uh, Sergio Alcantara is another guy who's been making an impact lately. Just designated Andrew Remine for a s- assignment. Um, you know, pretty much paving the way be in the you know, everyday shortstop, he's he's really come on, come you know, come on and uh, at the plate in the field for the Cubs. So yeah, and I mean, on top of that, of course, you have you know David Ross and and Jed Hoyer testing positive. So you know, tumultuous uh, things going on in the Cubs organization as of late. The COVID situation, you know, roster changes, rosters expanding, um, but the Cubs are have been, and um, yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. And you know, Schwindel has made such an impact. Be the Cubs more likely be the Cubs starting first baseman next season. So, yeah, it's it's been impressive to see and. Relievers as well, and starters. Uh, now that you know Justin Steele is is settled in as a starter, and sidearm relievers, Scott Efros, he recently got called up, and he's been doing well. As have uh, uh, Cody Hoyer and Adam, and you know some other relievers who have kind of stepped up. You know since. Relief pitching, following trades, and at the deadline, and just you know, seeing better relief pitching has been helpful as, as well. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, the Cubs did very well offensively in that Pirates series. He had that crazy you know, three go-ahead grand slams, a total, a total of three go-ahead grand slams between the Cubs and the Pirates, first time and. That's ever happened. Um, we saw our guy Shelby Miller um, get racked in that series. The former Cup. and yeah, I mean, you know that that was just a nice way to to see the you know the that was a good reminder of where the Cubs could be. And since Cubs fans are probably feeling down about the team since the deadline, you know this. See that things could certainly be worse and yes, rebuild, but yeah, I mean, you know, recently we were talking about if they would lose 100 games. Well, now they're they're looking at potentially, you know, who knows? They could maybe win 75 games. Um, regardless wow. you know, of how bad many of the wins have come against, it's been nice to see the Cubs. Know, just get back on a winning track, lately, and give fans something to be excited about.
0: Yeah, and a couple of players I want to touch on really quick. Obviously, we've talked about Schwindel, who I think has done enough to at least earn a start, earn a position on this roster next year. If it's a starter, if it's a bench player, or whatever. Because I also like what I've seen out of Alfonso Rivas in his brief stint with the Cubs right now. And I think given what Rivas brings to the table in terms of his plate discipline and just the way he goes about his at-bats, it reminds me a lot of Mark Grace back in the 90s, a guy that was very difficult to strike out, a guy that prided himself on putting the ball in play. And I think him and Schwindel could make a very good platoon at first base. So that's something that Cubs can definitely look at considering next year. But then you have a guy like Edward Elzali, who has all the talent and all the potential in the world to be a frontline starting pitcher, which obviously that's what the Cubs have hoped he could become. But for some reason, just it never seemed like he could put it together this year and, I know fans are going to point at the record and they're going to look at the ERA and just basically say he's had such a tough season, which the Cubs have given him 1.8 runs of support in his starts, which is by far the lowest total in Major League Baseball. So it's not like he was going out there and getting blown up every time he was on the mound. It was He was giving the Cubs five innings, but if you give up three runs in five innings, your ERA is going to be sitting at a 4.85. Yes, that 4.85 doesn't look good on the front end of things, but it's not as bad as what people think it is when you look at just kind of the run support issues that he's had to deal with all year. But now we've seen what he can do since coming back to this team in a relief role, and he looks like a completely different pitcher right now. When somebody that, given his injury history and given the fact that he has yet to throw more than 140 innings at any point in his career – you might see the Cubs now consider moving him to the closer role in the future, especially when you got guys like Keegan Thompson and Justin Steele most likely earning a spot in the rotation next year. And even a guy like Adrian Sampson, who, yes, he's only made two starts this year, but he's had two very good starts. And if you can put him in the rotation, I think Elzelay would be a perfect fit to be the closer of this team next year, especially when you look at what he's done in his brief stint in the bullpen this year.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that is something to think about. He has been effective in relief stints, uh, relief appearances. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I want to give up on him as a starter. I imagine that, you know, the Cubs will likely give him, you know, start to prove himself. Or just the end is, you know, one of the top dogs in that rotation. Like he needs to be as it navigates rebuild. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we talked before about how he's been kind of starstruck, been here with run support and whatnot, in his starts so of record is his overall record kind of deceptive. Wins and losses not really telling the whole story right there, there, but yeah, I mean, you know, he is a guy who's got good stuff, uh, you know, I could see him being a, an effective closer, but, you know, it'd be nice to see him really develop, to prove as a starter, and, uh, you know, another thing is, it seems like he's dealt with, you know, blister issues. Uh, the hamstring, hamstring issue and different, different bumps in the road injury wise this year. So, just back here. so. Um, interesting to see how he's used the rest of the way these final, you know, 22 games. Um, wow. The Cubs have remaining on their schedule to see if he makes some starts uh, or continues to, you know, come out of the bullpen. It's, it was nice to see him return and be effective. Um, yeah, now, Nico Horner is another guy who is uh, hopefully getting back here you know, late in the season just to get him some some more at-bats to close. Uh, of course, he's been rehabbing from that oblique injury. Um, yeah, you know, nice to see the Cubs getting healthier and guys getting opportunities and you know, settling in.
0: And then the last guy I want to talk about is your favorite player on the Chicago Cubs, Mr. Ian Happ, who <laughs> I yeah. knew you said before that you kind of want to give up on the Ian Happ experiment because for whatever reason we, we've seen what he can do, we've seen what he can't do, but I don't know what has gotten into this guy the last month or so of the season, but he is absolutely mashing the baseball right now. He's looking like the player of his rookie season. He's looking like the player that was around the final month and a half of 2019. And then the same player that got off to such a great start in 2020 before cooling off at the end of the season. This is the Ian Happ that the Cubs have expected for the better part of the last four plus years when he broke onto the scene as a rookie, but really hasn't lived up to that same caliber since. But if he can continue this, the final two and a half, three weeks of the season here and kind of get into the off season with more of a positive taste in his mouth, as opposed to how the season has gone for him. Otherwise he is going to be a critical piece in this lineup next year, because He has the potential to be a 30-plus homer, 100-plus RBI hitter if he can be consistent enough to do that. But given what he's done the past month-plus, he's starting to look like he finally figured something out, and he is very locked in right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, consistency is the key there, the key word there. And, you know, I'll – I made made the point that, you know, it might be worth – um, moving on from the so to speak. But I like him as a player. I think he's a solid player and you know I appreciate what he's done uh, for the Cubs now he's obviously made, made in, him, you know, during, you know, and during the David Ross era. I just wonder you know how much he's really gonna be a guy who the Cubs are going to continue to hang on to as they go through this rebuild, but you know, because he streaky or really streaky, he'll just have these like stretches where he's incredible, and then he'll just disappear. So well, it's awesome. Have effective. you
0: noticed something though with him, though? It seems what? like yeah. it seems like when he gets into like these streaky stretches. When he doesn't have a defined role on the team, it seems like he struggles. And if you look at early in the season, him and Jake Marisnyk were splitting time in center field. Hap never really got the rhythm he was accustomed to. Marisnyk got off to that great start in April, and then kind of towards the end of April, Marisnyk was getting more starts in center field than Hap until Marisnyk got hurt. Then you go back a couple of years when – Joe Madden was shuffling the Elbert Elmora, Ian Happ situation, trying to figure out who the everyday center fielder was going to be. Happ never really got the reps that he got as a rookie because as a rookie in 2017, Happ was seeing a lot of time in both left and right field and not as much in center field. Well, ever since Rafael Ortega emerged as the team's everyday center fielder 90% of the time. And pretty much since Jock Peterson got traded, Ian Happ has really been the everyday left fielder. He's been seeing his name in that lineup consistently. He's primarily played left field, and then except for, like, the days that Ortega sits, then he'll go back to center field. But I think going forward, left field needs to be where Ian Happ stays because he's not the best defensive center fielder. He's not terrible. He's not the best. You put him in left field. You don't have to worry about kind of the defensive issue. He's got a good enough arm to play left field. And just kind of taking that pressure off of him, knowing that he's going to be in the lineup every day, he's going to be in the same position pretty much every day, I think that's a big reason why the numbers are where they are right now. And I think going forward, if the Cubs continue to use him as the everyday left fielder, I think he has a very good season next year if they choose to hang on to him and finally gets to that level that the team is expected to
1: yeah yeah, yeah he's certainly sorry. making a splash right now and improving that he might be worth and he, he would be worth hanging on to I just have to question if you know if that's something considering Hoyer's propensity to want everything from the pretty much everybody from the epstein era um the you know everybody can move on from that is if. Apple will still be in the picture because, um, yeah, I mean, he's just being a stringing together consistency has is, is been an issue. I do give him the benefit of the doubt just like I gave yeah, Albert Amora the benefit of the doubt with, you know, them when they had the platoon and really got to play start on a consistent basis. <laughs> that is That does make an impact, and you have to wonder if that's really – him from you know, developing into what you know, he he certainly has the talent to become what he's capable of becoming. Um, yes. So I mean, based on how he's played, you know, for the better part of the last month or so, certainly worth considering. You know, if the Cubs could bring him back and have him uh, be a, be an everyday outfielder on field and, um, you know, be a veteran guy and, uh, you know, it's it's wild to consider him a veteran, but with the, probably going to have next year, you know, like, he'd be a, a veteran and, you know, could serve that role for the Cubs. So, yeah, I mean, it's obviously been very effective as of late and, you know, hit several impressive home runs, including that upper decker at, the plans and uh, you know, come up with some big hits. And, uh, yeah, it's it's been nice to see.
0: And now we'll switch over to the White Sox, who despite continuing to lead their division, they're going through struggles once again. And for whatever reason, the Kansas City Royals have had the White Sox number this year, especially the last mm-hmm. couple series where I think the Royals have gone, I think six and three or five and four against the White Sox. But just when we talked about their offense getting healthy with Luis Robert and Jimenez and Yasmani Grandol all coming back for what seemed to be at the perfect time, now their starting, roti- starting rotation has taken a big hit where not only is Lance Lynn on the 10-day IL, but Lucas Giolito is also now on the IL dealing with a hamstring issue. Lance Lynn looks to be on track to make his next start early in the week. Next week because he was only kind of put on just for some knee soreness versus. Giolito's dealing with a hamstring injury, and everyone knows how tricky hamstring injuries are, and you got to question kind of the position that the White Sox are going to be in come playoff time because a team that both of us felt was the favorite to represent the American League in the World Series, I'm starting to shift my focus to the Tampa Bay Rays as the favorite to come out of the American League at this point, given how well the Rays are playing right now. are the White Sox even going to make it out of the first round with the injuries that they continue to pile up, which seems to be like a new injury every week?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it it has been, you know, a bugaboo. It's the biggest issue they faced this year. And they finally got healthy recently, but now more injury issues. And, you know, you mentioned that That's certainly not good to see injuries to their star starters um, in the rotation. Really not good to see Tim Anderson hurt. Uh, he's dealing with a hamstring injury on the I.L. He's on the I.L. as well. And I think I just, just saw him set a timetable for his return as of now. So, you know, the White Sox will probably be cautious with him and let him get healthy. Um, obviously, he's spark plug of that. Batting order and and you know the really piece to that rotation the guy who gets that team going so that's certainly not good that they'll that they've been playing you know hopefully for their sake he'll be back soon uh, yeah but you know injury issues has been a constant for the life unfortunately and you know I'm still because of the division they're in, I mean, they should have no problem winning that division. I mean, there's, you know, 11 games up on second place Indians right now, uh, you know, so they should have no problem winning that division, but they do come playoff time, you know, it, you know after getting knocked out uh, in the first round last year, you know, uh, extra motivation to make a deep playoff run this year. But, yeah, the injury concerns, you know, could – it's looking like the Rays are the best in the American League right now. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the White Sox, you know, the, the – that they lender into October that could potentially um, ruin their, their playoff chances.
0: And now we'll switch over to football where we'll start with college football since that kind of got into full swing this past weekend. I know there was games the first weekend in September, but there wasn't too many teams in action as really Labor Day weekend kind of signifies the start of college football every year. And you had the Notre Dame Fighting Irish defending their one-year run as ACC champions considering how they moved to the ACC during the COVID season against – an ACC opponent over the weekend in Florida State. And yes, the Fighting Irish won, but you got to give a ton of credit to the Seminoles. They gave the Fighting Irish everything that they could handle and more. In the end, Notre Dame won 41-38 to move to 1-0 and on the season, and now they'll have uh, two fairly easy matchups with Toledo and Purdue, in my opinion, at home. So they shouldn't have too much trouble picking up two more wins before kind of getting into the gauntlet part of their schedule coming up after that, where they have five ranked teams over a five game stretch. Uh, Kyron Williams did not have the greatest in terms of games. He had 18 carries for 42 yards. So the Seminoles defense definitely keyed in on him, but Jack Cohn certainly made an impression in Notre Dame this week in throwing for 366 yards and four touchdowns in his first start with the Fighting Irish. Uh, Being a Wisconsin Badger fan myself, I know there was a lot of controversy between him and Graham Mertz as as to who should have been the starter last year, and the Badgers elected to go with Graham Mertz over Cohn last year. And after what Badger fans witnessed in Graham Mertz last week, Jack Cohn, to me, should have stayed in Wisconsin. Obviously, he's probably much happier now that he's in Notre Dame. But Jack Cohn, to me, is a very good quarterback and a quarterback that's been overlooked the past three years by pretty much the whole country. And now that he's finally gone to a team that has the receiver weapons that he didn't have when he was with Wisconsin, I think you're looking at a missing piece that Notre Dame has not had the last couple of years. And I think Cohn can really do something special with Notre Dame this year.
1: First of all, the game. I mean a great game. You know it was really the game that made you feel like, you know, football seasons back. Um Sunday night game and just super exciting. Um including, you know, Mackenzie Milton coming his miraculous injury recovery and, um, you know, making a splash for Florida State. That was really – excitement was awesome. Yeah, I mean, Jack Cohn played really well, you know, set a Notre Dame record for passing yards in a season opener, Um, you know, just for 366 yards, that is. And, yeah, it was just really impressive. And like you said, you know, obviously Graham Mertz really struggled against Penn State. So you got Wisconsin fans maybe questioning what if. Um, but yeah, Notre Dame for their, their their weapons, you know, their tight ends. Uh, yeah, that's, that's such a big key there. Is you know all, all the weapons they have for to you know Scat backs, um, a lot of targets for him, and and um, you know he played really well in that debut. And offense showed. Uh, You know, a lot of promise, uh, a lot of firepower. You know, an ability to respond to downs by Florida State with big touchdowns of their own, and that was just an impressive, gritty win. um, Despite you know giving up the big lead uh, late in the game, they were able to pull it out in overtime. So a great win for the hostile environment uh, within the season.
0: And the ACC as a whole had a very terrible weekend on the field. You had Clemson get beat by Georgia, and I think what was most impressive with that game was how pedestrian that Georgia defense looked. DJ Ungolow, I can't even pronounce the guy's last name, so I'm not even going to try it. But how pedestrian they made him look in really his first time as, like, the guy in Clemson. And then you had just – the ACC itself just played terrible and. You can look right at Northern Illinois as kind of that indicator, a team that couldn't win a game during the spring season if they tried. And a lot of the games during the spring season were ugly and not even close. But then they go on the road at Georgia Tech this weekend and win 22-21 to 21 over the Yellow Jackets. And now you're looking at the ACC as, oh, boy, a league that is supposed to be one of the better leagues this year with Clemson and North Carolina ends up having one of the worst weekends out of all the Power Five conferences. And a team like Northern Illinois that couldn't buy a win in the spring goes on the road to a – they're not a great Georgia Tech team, but they're always a Georgia Tech team that competes for a bowl game at the end of the year. That's a big win for Northern Illinois, and that's going to go a long way in determining the success of their season.
1: Yeah, true. But they they played in the fall, right? Didn't they play last – No, Northern – I think Northern Illinois
0: played in the – well – I think it was late. It was like winter season. They played like December through the beginning of January because they started like December 6th, I think is when the Mac started. So, I mean, technically that's the fall, but do you really consider December the fall? Oh, yeah. December, yeah. Yeah, they only had like
1: that sixth season. Only played six games so yeah, a good win for them to open the season. Um, yeah, and like you said, ACC was atrocious to open the season. Obviously, Alabama beat down on Miami. Ole Miss beat down on Louisville. You know, you had the Virginia Tech ACC team that, you know, upset um, one of the more promising ACC teams in North Carolina. And then, like you Clemson offense really struggling against that Georgia defense. That Georgia pass rush, pass rush, um, you know, sack after sack. Clemson's uh, offensive line, which you know had an injury issue, but you know, pretty bad. How how they fared against that Georgia pass rush? You know, DJ was under constant pressure so yeah not a good way to start the season for the acc um but yeah northern illinois just going to go for two on the late touchdown and it paid off and you know they get the one point win on the road to kick off really tough 0-6 season last year and um yeah good for the huskies
0: And that will kind of go from the bad to the ugly. And after scoring a win in his Illinois debut against Nebraska, which to me was a big win for Brett Bielema, they absolutely go and lay an egg this weekend against a University of Texas San Antonio team that not only had no business winning that game, but really had no business being competitive with a big 10 team and, I mean, Illinois comes a week after they're riding a complete high with a program with the win against Nebraska. Now they have this let down against the Roadrunners and then have to go on the road against Virginia next week before having Purdue. And then all of a sudden you're having a, a promising two and one start, is what we, I think, discussed earlier. And we expected Illinois to get off to a two and one and possibly even like a four and two type of start when you looked at kind of how their schedule played off. Now you look at this loss and it just seems to me like it's going to be more of the same for Illinois where they have a team that has talent, although not the most talent in the world, but it's just one of those situations where no matter who the coach is, that talent can never live up to what everyone expects it to.
1: That was a serious letdown loss after, you know, a pretty big win open the season. Um, It was beautiful in his debut. He had the early injury to Brandon Peters, quarterback, and, a, win. and a historically great Nebraska program that's obviously struggling right now. So, that was a good good one. And overseas, yeah, serious letdown loss at home to UTSA. Um, pathetic. That's not that one. Score. Points Illinois scored 30 points for the second straight week, but uh, as opposed to points they gave up to Nebraska, gave up 37 points to the road runners. So, um, yeah, definitely a, a loss, not a good sign for how Illinois is gonna fare, you know, as, as their schedule gets tough. Um, more difficult opponents get into the thick of things in Big Ten play. Um, You know, Brandon Peters didn't play, but there's no excuse. I mean, the defense was the primary issue, a serious letdown. And, um, yeah, I mean, now they have to go on the road. um, And, you know, we'll have to see if they can bounce back there against – but, yeah, definitely a serious letdown loss on Saturday for the Fighting Illini.
0: And then you had the Northwestern Wildcats who took on the Michigan State Spartans this weekend. And given the amount of talent that Northwestern lost from last year's team, I think everyone expected them to have a down year this year. Offensively, they really weren't that bad. They scored 21 points, but Hunter Johnson threw for 275 yards and three touchdowns. Evan Hull only had nine carries, but amassed 87 yards on the ground. So they did move the ball fairly well against Michigan State on offense. But defensively is where that team took a hit. And when you think of Pat Fitzgerald, the first thing that you think of is defense. So to see the team struggle as much as they did defensively is definitely a concern, especially when you look at the ground game itself, where Walker goes off for 264 yards and four touchdowns that's definitely something that Northwestern has got to fix before they get into big 10 play, because there is a lot of good running backs in the big 10. And if they allowed 264 yards in week one, it's only going to get worse the rest of the way.
1: Yeah. Safe to say Northwestern's defense. I mean, I, I know, you know, game into the season, but I, going ahead and saying it's not what it was last year. Obviously, last year, they have one of the best defenses. You know, really, the surprise of team in the Big Ten, um, you know, I have a word of, of getting to the college football playoff. But doesn't look like they're on track to success this year. Um, It was, like like you said, a a rough defensive performance to open the season. Um, He settles in at the quarterback spot and, you know, how effective. uh, um, But, yeah, the the defensive question marks are definitely there, you know, and, and, and had a field day uh, on the offensive side of the ball in that series season opener so like you said very uncharacteristic of a Pat Fitzgerald coach team and um, that he was that Fitzgerald was not pleased at all with that performance.
0: And then just kind of looking at the other scores from the weekend for the FCS side of things you had. Western Illinois falling to Ball State 31-21 in their season debut. Um, what else we got here? Southern Illinois scored a 47-21 to win over Southeastern Missouri. And I believe there are was- more if I can find the score, but there's so many scores here, I can't find them quick enough. But I mean, outside of just
1: yeah. obviously the FCS, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: you yeah, had Eastern yeah. Illinois getting throttled by, yeah. yep, with great assistant, uh, quarterback and Zev Nolan, so yeah, um, for a rough week for Clemson fans. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so many teams back and in- Africa, yeah, like, you know, Notre Dame might be the saving grace of um, Chicago area. Cause, you, know, I, you know, maybe a, an outside shot, so to speak. We certainly have a shot of making the Cup again this year, but, you know, have to see how they do moving forward off of that thrilling win over Florida State.
0: And now we'll talk about the football team that everybody in Chicago is waiting to see this weekend in the Chicago Bears, who are going to kick off their 2021 NFL season on the road against the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday night. Not only do the Bears open the season in prime time, which – hasn't been something that you can say too much about that team over the past five, six years. They haven't had too many season opening games on prime time, but it's a very big game for the Rams too, as this will be the first time that their new stadium, SoFi Stadium, is gonna have fans in attendance because they did not have fans in the stadium last season. That stadium is going to be kind of a monumental night for the Rams. Uh, Looking ahead to this game, I know everyone wanted to see Justin Fields open the season as the starting quarterback, and I think both of us have gone on record to say that Fields is going to be the starter at some point. It's just a matter of when. But when you look at how ferocious this Rams defense is in all all three units of the defense, you have Jalen Ramsey, who's arguably the best cornerback in the league, anchoring that secondary, and then you have – Former Chicago Bear, Leonard Floyd, who had a breakout year with the Rams last year on the linebacker side of things. And then, of course, Aaron Donald, who's going to be up for defensive player of the year every single year on that front. The Rams defense is going to be a top three defense again this year. And When you have an offensive line like the Bears that hasn't shown that they can consistently protect the quarterback, this is not a game that I want Justin Fields to play just because – It's a game that has the potential to get out of hand early if the Bears' offensive line cannot stop Donald. And if Fields starts this game and all of a sudden doesn't have the game that fans expected him to have, then fingers are going to be pointing at Fields immediately saying, like, well, maybe he's not as good as everyone thinks he is, this and that. So in a situation like that, you got to think that this is a very good decision to start Andy Dalton, mainly because – if he goes out and fails, well, then the fans pretty much are going to be like, "Well, I told you he wasn't going to win." But if he goes out and finds a way to beat this Rams team, then you're kind of looking at a different reaction by the fans.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough test for Dalton, and I mean, the big question is how the Bears' offensive line is going to fix um scary Rams pass rush, pass rush, which you mentioned. So yeah I mean, you know Dalton you know, for Dalton to play very poorly and fields get inserted into the starting lineup for week two uh but yeah Dalton plays well and uh, his offense is surprisingly good, then it could really um you know potentially Dalton could win. And, um. It's going to be a tough test, and obviously the Bears have made a whole bunch of roster decisions. Uh, the roster's got trimmed down to fifty-three players, and um, you yeah, know now we can. tomorrow night, night when you have the season opening game of the twenty twenty-one NFL season, uh, we can turn the page and be playing the first night game. Uh, cool to see them in prime time and uh, getting underway this season
0: and as scary as the Rams defense is I'm going to point to the Rams offense as the x-factor in this one because throughout the preseason the Bears defense really didn't impress me at all I mean they allowed 24 points to the Titans but most of the Titans second stringers were in that game so right there that's kind of a concern as it is right there. They beat the Dolphins 20 to 13, but they were three at the half when the Dolphins first stringers were in the game. And then Buffalo just completely stomped Chicago that second week of the preseason. So the defense has really been underwhelming throughout the preseason. If you ask me, and you have a unit right now on defense that needs a lot of addressing. And that's the secondary where, Not only did they release Desmond Trufant, which was kind of a surprise move in my opinion, but they entered the first game with the Rams with just four cornerbacks on the roster. And if one of the cornerbacks goes down, this team's going to be in for a world of trouble for the rest of that game. And all you have to do is look at who's the quarterback on that other sideline and Matthew Stafford, who is very familiar with the Bears and what the Bears defense can do. Granted, he hasn't had the most success against Chicago, but a lot of that has to do with the team that he was on the. But Stafford can flat-out fling the football and flat-out throw the football in. For the first time in his now, I think, 11- or 12-year career, he is on a Super Bowl-caliber team that has weapons not only on offense, but has weapons on defense. And if the Bears' defense performs the way they did during the preseason, Matthew Stafford is going to tear them apart. And even if Dalton goes out and scores 24 points against the Rams' defense, which I think would, I think Bears fans would be extremely happy if Chicago can score 24 points against the Rams. If Stafford goes out and, like, torches the Bears for 35 points, now they're going to be pointing fingers at the defense because the Rams, to me, and I know a lot of people are not talking about them at this point, if the Rams' defense plays the way they did last year, they're going to be one of my picks to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC, mainly because Matthew Stafford is a much better quarterback than Jared Goff, and for the first time in his career – he's got a supporting cast around him that he's not going to have to carry the team himself.
1: Yeah, true. Um, And yeah, I mean, you know, the back situation is a curious one for the Bears. And, you know, Jalen Johnson is going to be looked at to do a lot. uh, Yeah. Cutting true font was been away from the team with the dealing with a personal matter, but, just him up yesterday. So, um, you know, I have to wonder if if the Bears should have held on to him, obviously. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. we saw a lot of, a lot of interesting, interesting. Uh, roster decisions. You know, you called the Rashad. So, congrats on that. They, they bring him aboard, them. but, um, you know, also moved on from some guys. I mean, Don, or we cut from Javon Wims and uh, Riley Ridley, but also not keep Rod Adams on the um, 53 man roster. You know, he's now on the practice squad, but you know, after he was season, he did make uh, several receivers and brought in the Webster, a guy who can. And still battling back from injury and in the uh, return duties, Webster can make an impact there. But I mean, you know, the, the Rams, like you said, I mean, they legitimate Super Bowl contenders now with Stafford. Um, I mean, obviously, they have been contenders multiple times in recent years. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is you know Stafford's maybe best chance to probably his. best a playoff run, uh, um, certainly an upgrade for the Rams from Golf to Stafford. So that bear work cut out for it. And um, you know, certainly got to wonder uh, you know, right off the bat. Uh, like you said, I mean, fans in SoFi Stadium going to be the Rams going to be extra pumped up. Uh, you know, Buster's. Is another veteran cornerback. The Bears cut loose. So, yeah, I mean, a young secondary for the most part. Um, you know, you, you still uh, have Deshaun, Deshaun Gibson on the team. Deshaun Gibson on the team at safety uh, is a veteran guy. And they released Marquis. Um, of course, Eddie Jackson still leading the way, but mostly looking at quarterback and the youth there. Um, they do have already Burns, so have him um, in the fold, uh, back in the fold there. So that that's a veteran guy, and not too much of a veteran, but he's 26. But a guy who um, can provide some depth there. And Jalen Johnson and Kendall Vildor, a lot's going to be asked of them this year, and and Duke Shelley as well.
0: And now we'll switch over to the NBA, where the Chicago Bulls are continuing to be very active. I mean, they had one of the more active off-seasons, I think. They, I would say the Lakers were the most active, followed by the Bulls. But there's still a lot of roster questions heading into training camp. And I know the Bulls have Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, Levine White, Vucevic, Patrick Williams, and... Um DeMar DeRozan as kind of their top seven that you know what you're going to get out of them, and that's primarily going to be, like, the seven guys they go with for much of the year. But the rest of the roster, there's a lot of figuring out to do. I know Ayu Dusunmu is probably going to have a significant role this year. Marco Samanovic is going to see increased time as the season goes on. But the Bulls have done a good job, I think, of adding some pieces to the lineup, especially this weekend when they signed Elise Johnson to a two-year contract to kind of be the backup power forward to Patrick Williams. They go in, They went and added a sharpshooter out of the state of Wisconsin, Matt Thomas, who is most likely going to fill that role that Ryan Archdiakino you had when he was here. But given the shooting ability that Thomas has, he's going to be kind of the first player that Chicago's had, basically, since Kyle Korver that can come off the bench and stretch the floor, making things, I think, a lot easier for the Bulls' offense. But the one player that I'm very intrigued that they got, and they did say it's a one-year contract, but it's a non-guaranteed contract, so if he doesn't make the team out of training camp, the Bulls don't owe him anything, and that's that Stanley Johnson out of Toronto, who was formerly the eighth pick of the Detroit Pistons back in 2015, He's bounced around a little bit, but he's always been a very valuable bench piece for both the Pistons and the Raptors. And in the game against the Bulls last year in April, he put up 36 points and 10 rebounds in one of his few starts. So Chicago got to see firsthand what Stanley Johnson can bring to the table. Uh, DeMar DeRozan has also seen firsthand being that they played together briefly in Toronto before he went to San Antonio. But Stanley Johnson, to me, I think is a very – under the radar pick and I kinda like what he brings to the table because I think he does a lot of what Thaddeus Young did with this team and considering that they lost young and Marken and so many bench pieces. Stanley Johnson players that emerges as kind of one of those MVPs off the Bull- off the Bulls bench in my opinion.
1: mm mm-hmm. yeah I agree. I like that signing. Um, wondering if the Bulls would be able to bring Paul Mills out the board. And then a rumor came out that Lamarcus Aldridge, who came out of retirement following a, his heart issue that caused him to retire abruptly during last season, he could be interested in joining the Bulls. But both Aldridge and Millsap both ended up joining the Nets. Uh, of course, Aldridge last season. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, to help make them even more of a superpower. But you know, the Bulls, I mean obviously plenty of talent, plenty of depth, uh like the Stanley same. Johnson signing would have been nice. Um you know, leave Johnson as well. Keep Mills out from aboard. But, um mm-hmm. still have some talent and a good mixture of youth and and um yeah, I mean you know, it's, they're going to have plenty of options this year. Uh, that's for sure. Plenty of scoring options.
0: And what do you think of the Matt Thomas signing? I know a lot of people are not familiar with him because he hasn't been around that much, but I grew up watching him in high school because he went to high school about two hours away from where I live and his team was also often playing against teams in my area. So I kind of got a First-hand look of what Thomas could do. And in high school, he was just a monster. He was a six-four, six-five 6'5", guard, which is very tall for a lot of the high schools in the state of Wisconsin. So a lot of times he played kind of the small forward, power forward position just because of his size. But he knocked down 48% of his three-point shots in high school, including 62% of his shots as a senior. So he always had a very good three-point touch. He goes to Iowa State for three years and kind of bounced between the bench and the starting role for two years, and he was hurt his sophomore year, so that kind of was a lost cause anyways. Knocked down close to 40% of his threes in college. Then he goes overseas where this was a stat that I was just completely blown away by, and you look at guys like Klay Thompson and Stephen Curry who pride themselves as kind of those catch-and-shoot type of three-point shooters. But even when they're on, they knock down – 65 to 70 percent of their shots that's an insane number but when Matt Thomas was playing overseas his I think it was 2018-2019 he knocked down 99 percent of all of his catch and shoot all of his catch and shoot shots so Mm -hmm. I think they broke it down that means he made like 118 out of 123 catch and shoot situations and With a guy like Lonzo Ball running the point and a guy like DeMar DeRozan who can handle the point guard if Ball is on the bench, Thomas is going to get his catch-and-shoot situations off the bench. And if he can even knock down a fraction of it, I'm not talking 99%, but if he can even knock down like 45 to 50% of those catch-and-shoot situations, he's going to have a much better season than what people are giving him credit for because this might be the first chance that he gets. To kind of be that three-point specialist off the bench of a team.
1: Yeah, insight there. That's that's really interesting. interesting to hear how effective he was overseas. That's incredible. Some numbers. Um, but yeah, I mean the catch and shoot number that, that is. is. But yeah, I mean that you know is enough for me to say that it's a smart signing. Sharp shooter and a guy who developed reputation as a serious three-point weapon. So yeah, I mean, you know, he's make an impact off the bench for that Bulls offense, and can never have too many shooters in today's NBA. So uh, I like that.
0: And, while NBA training camp, I think, if I remember correct, it's like two weeks away because the first preseason games are early October. You have the Blackhawks, who are set to begin training camp next week, and their first preseason game is the end of September. I think September 27th is when their first preseason game is. Much like the Bulls, the Blackhawks had a very aggressive offseason and were probably the most aggressive team in the NHL, they've done so much to improve this team with Seth Jones coming aboard, Andre Fleury coming aboard, uh, Jonathan Tabes is back, Connor Murphy's been signed to an extension. I'm missing a couple other players they signed, but you kind of get the picture of how aggressive this team has been considering the situations that they were in last year and just how young of a team they were last year and how they were willing to, compete for the playoffs up until that final two weeks of the season when they kind of ran into that gauntlet of a schedule with Tampa Bay and uh, Florida and Carolina, which seemed like every game for about three weeks straight. Now that they're out of that division with Tampa Bay and Carolina and Florida, look at the division they're in now. They have St. Louis, Dallas, Arizona, Nashville, Winnipeg, and Minnesota with them. I would say Nashville and Dallas are probably – the two best teams in that division, if you're going based off of last year. But looking at the roster itself and on paper, the Blackhawks probably have the best roster in their division on paper. And now it's a matter of getting that roster to kind of translate into success on the ice. But how do you see their season going this year? I have very high expectations for the Blackhawks, especially when you look at the moves that they've made. And I think they could be in position to make their first deep playoff run in about five years when you look at the moves they brought in.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, they, you know, Bowman in the front office did an effective job, a more than effective job this offseason. You know, filled holes and replaced uh, some players with more players and. Um, Yeah, I mean, they have plenty of talent and are certainly well positioned off run. Obviously, I think it's fair to say they should expect to reach the postseason. And as far as what they accomplish in the playoffs, you know, I think expectations should be pretty high. I mean, they they certainly have the talent to uh, make a good. Yeah, I mean, you know, they could be a lot closer than uh, many hockey fans might realize to being uh, being Stanley Cup players like they were for so many years, you know, and still have some of those core guys from those Stanley Cups uh, from the past decade or so. So, um, yeah, plenty of excitement there surrounding the Blackhawks.
0: And with the addition of Marc Andre Fleury, you can pretty much guarantee that he's going to be the starting goalie once training camp ends and most preseason ends, barring a significant injury that's going to kind of keep him from being the starter. But you also saw a young guy in Kevin Lankinen, who, as a rookie, impressed pretty much everyone within the organization. He impressed every team that he went against. And up until the final two weeks of the season where it kind of looked like he was getting fatigued from all the action that he was a part of for so long. He was viewed as kind of being the significant piece that kind of would be the starting net this year. And now you're looking at the Blackhawks who had a goalie issue last year where it was and was your starter. And then was it Malcolm Subin? Was it Colin D'Elia or somebody else as your backup? Now the Blackhawks have a legitimate black uh, a legitimate backup in Lincoln, and where if Flurry is gone for a significant portion of time, or if Flurry has to miss a few games, there's going to be no concern with Lincoln and coming in and giving Blackhawks the critical minutes.
1: Yeah, true, and that's great to have. I mean, that's you know always a great thing to have two. Reliable goalies, um, um, yeah, and Flurry, you know, coming off his great season uh, with the with Vegas, uh, uh, that's the trophy, you know. He, it's it's great for the Blackhawks that he came around to the idea of playing for them and uh, you know, should be good in this season. season. And, yeah, Lankin and will obviously learn under him and improve, and uh, should have a you know, if if, if play should be. Uh, well to be effective after um, you know obviously being a key part of the black
0: and then uh, next topic and probably the last topic we'll switch over to now is the Chicago Fire who had off of competition for Labor Day weekend I think usually the MLS takes a Labor Day break but Now they're kind of getting into the stretch run of their season where they have six games remaining in the month of September. They have, I think, five more in October and then one or two in November. So they should have like eight or nine games remaining on their schedule. Uh, Looking at the standings right now, they are in 10th place out of 13 teams in the Eastern Conference with 23 points. But they're only four points out of the final playoff spot, which is occupied by the Columbus crew at 27 points. Actually, no, no seven points I guess DC United has that final spot at 30 points So, So Chicago is on the outside looking in, but there's plenty of time for them to sneak into that final playoff spot, much like they kind of put themselves in position towards the end of the season last year, only to lose it on the final day of the regular season. Uh, things are not going to get easy immediately out of the break, just because they have a very good sporting Kansas City team on the road this weekend. And, when you look at the struggles that the Chicago Fire have had forever on the road, well, that's not going to make things easier going against a supporting Kansas City team. But you take that game away, and after that you have DC United, uh, Montreal, New England, Nashville, New York City, FC, Toronto, and New England. They have a stretch of basically seven of their next eight games are against teams that are in the playoffs right now or are in playoff contention, and If the Fire want to make the playoffs, they're going to need to win some of these games. But at the very worst, they're going to have to come away with at least one point in, I would say, five or six of these contests. Given the amount of improvement they've made offensively the past, I would say, month, month and a half where they went from struggling to score goals, where now all of a sudden they can score two-plus goals a game, do you think the Fire have what it takes to start kind of maybe not winning as many games as we hope, but... Getting into a nice groove here where they can start piling up some points to kind of sneak into that final playoff spot. Yeah,
1: they can. And, you know, I've been on the MLS, has been on the international break, and it's, you know, given the fire, other teams a chance to rest. And, um, you know, for the guys who aren't playing in international competitions, that is, but the regroup and obviously coaching staff will have the team ready to go here as we um, enter this next season. still plenty of matches left to be played. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the fire have to continue to play uh, to improve on the road and just, you know, continue to get, consistently get shots on goal and uh, just, you know, be aggressive when in possession of the ball. Just get points where you can. You know, score goals where you can and pick up points where he can, and um, you know, hang around in this playoff push. Yeah, I definitely think they can they can get to the postseason for sure.
0: And then before we sign off for today, uh, do you want to let people know what's going on with the Chicago Sky? I know I saw the other day that they did clinch a spot yes. in the WFA playoffs, which is always good. But outside of that, I don't know too much what's going on
1: yeah it was a big week for Candace parker um like you said the sky ja uh, to close out that what kind swing they were on um they had they lost two in a row lost back mercury you know good by 20 and then they lost by seven at the aces so after seven. Uh, Las Vegas, they returned home to Chicago and beat the Aces uh, by eight on Sunday. And in a playoff berth, you also had Candace Parker, of course, the veteran leader for this guy. Um, She climbed the WNBA's all-time rebounds list past the great Tina Thompson and move into seventh place all-time. In WNBA history, and was also named to the WNBA's all time top 25 list, which was recently. recently. So, of course, an all time great player, needless to say, and um, has been instrumental in getting to playoff position. And uh, she'll look to lead the charge for the sky once the playoffs begin. Um, and, you know, this-
0: That's all the time Cole and I have for you today. Uh, We do have some internal changes happening at Chicago Sports HQ right now. So the podcast going forward is going to be altered a little bit. It might look a little different than what listeners are accustomed to, but we will try to push these out every week and continue our insights with the week of Chicago Sports and Cole. Have a great weekend, and take care, and we'll talk soon.
1: All right, man. Thank you, and thanks again for letting me be a part
0: of this. This has been awesome. No problem.